Hi, Graham. How are you doing? Hi, Mel. I'm good, thanks. Looking forward to today's conversation with Lara. Yeah, I'm really excited. So we have Lara Smart, who is a payroll transformation consultant. And um, today's episode, I think it's going to be really interesting because uh, Lara has a really different perspective on uh, the payroll industry um, because she is a transformation consultant. And I think she um, gives some valuable tips on what to do to have a successful transformation. Yeah, I think it's really interesting just how that portfolio of experience, which is a little different from some of the other guests, really wide portfolio, public sector, private sector, in-house, bureau, global, just how that's going to play out. So, Laura, it's lovely to meet you. And you both. Thank you for having me. So, um, perhaps, Laura, if I can can start just with a, um, I want you to cast your mind back and see if you can remember your first payslip. What was it for? What were you doing? I was working in a bureau, payroll bureau. It's pretty much where I very first started off. And I remember looking at it thinking, what's, what do all the acronyms mean? What does this mean? How's it all made up? How did you come to be working in a, in a payroll bureau as your first job? So I, I worked in hospitality when I was very young. And I was always interested in payroll and I got a role working uh, with a managed service provider who just tendered and won the BBC contract to put in contractors. So I supported a lot of limited company and umbrella contractors. And that's how I first got involved in the whole kind of pay cycle thing, but on the contractor side of things. And then there was a role that came up within a small bureau where I worked. And that was it for about three to four years. And I learned probably everything quite early on that I needed to from a bureau perspective as to how different businesses work, what they need, but also more importantly, how you can streamline giving them what they need to be able to pay people. So yeah, I was quite fortunate early on. And, and so cast your mind back to that hospitality job, because that first payslip in the bureau was then not the first payslip. There was obviously a cash payment or a, a payslip that goes with it. Do you remember what you what you spent the money on from your first from your first pay packet? Probably alcohol. <laughs> I've worked in, I was I've worked since I was 13. You know, back then it was kind of cash in hand, wasn't it? So yeah. Uh, when I first started getting pay slips, I didn't even look at them, if I'm honest. I used to just get paid and that was it. That's what you do at that sort of, well, that's what I did at that sort of age anyway. Yeah, great. So, then, so, so um, you know, alcohol, uh, great way to invest, great plan. Um, been there, done that. Um, and then uh, you find yourself in the world of payroll looking at it from the other side, right? Looking at all the acronyms and, and, and trying to understand. So, um, as you as you look back, what do you think it was that actually attracted you into payroll? Because you get a first taste, but how do you decide that's the career for you? It's it's so important. You are paying people what they need to survive, what they need to support their families, to live their lives every single month. And you look at a payslip, and it's made up of different boxes. And I've got a brain where I want to understand how those boxes arrive, how those figures arrive at what they do. So it's it's not only faced with the, well, how do we get paid every month and how does all of that work? But the technical side of what do you do to make it work? How do you do that? That's always what interested me in payroll. And so as you look back from that kind of first cash in hand, cash pay slip, um, how do you think the industry has changed or the role of the payroller has changed between when you started and now? You've got more products, you've got more automation, 
you've got more understanding of the function and you've got more training and education available within the industry. So you could, if you asked somebody back then, potentially even now, what does HR do? They could probably answer it. If you ask them what payroll does, they quite possibly couldn't answer it. So it's given more visibility to what payroll does, but there's also better technology in place that enables a lot more automation to give payrollers the ability to drive more value in what they do rather than everything being manual and administratively burdened. That does still exist. I'm not saying it doesn't still exist, but that's how far for me the profession has come on. And that's, I think that's an area we'll come back to um, in terms of automation and a, a look to the future. But let's just stick with your career for a bit, if, if we may. So you're in a payroll and you, 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 you're starting to work and if you've done the BBC and you've seen the whole umbrella contractor world and then you're in a bureau and you're, you're, you're starting to figure out what this payroll thing is about. How, how did you then think about your career progression? Are there sort of key moments that stand out as you look on your back through your career that you're saying, oh, there was, there was that transition. There was a deliberate thought process or a deliberate plan there that I wanted to learn more or expand more. Um, yeah, just curious yeah. And I'm, I'm curious by nature. So once I've learned something, so I think it was the Learn Centre back then. I did some qualifications with them before I moved on to do my CIPP diploma. And once I'd done that and I'd learned how you manually calculate everything, how you audit everything, I had processed multiple companies' payrolls. I'd moved into implementation. It was like, well, what's next? What do I need to learn now? Well, I need to learn how you process payroll in-house for a company. So I've worked for a bureau. I've processed them on, on this side for multiple clients. What do I need to know how to do now? How can I move across in, in a matrix horizontally? So I went and I was given an opportunity within a global company um, to process payroll in-house. And what that gave me was an enhanced skill set around well, how do you produce a PSA? What about P11Ds? How do you formulate all that sort of information internally within a business to be able to pr provide to a provider to be able to input to do those calculations. So that's the, the, there's there's quite a difference between the two, working in-house and working for a bureau. So that's what I then moved on to after that. And as that was a global company, did that give you your first exposure to international payrolls or you already had? Yeah, it gave me my, the, the bureau gave me good foundations for process. So what it gave me was the ability to understand and move into a shared services environment, which is something the business were looking to do. On the other hand, it also gave me great exposure at an early stage in my career to move into EMEA and start transitioning services from European countries into the UK as part of that shared services model. And, and a lot of that is purely comes down to curiosity and wanting to expand and being quite ambitious, I suppose. That's where those opportunities came from. And actually looking at your, your background, that that energy around transformation that that curiosity to understand what's there and then how you make it better that seems to be the point where you've then begun to to work through different organizations sort of going through different transformations so were you then on the lookout for companies that already had a transformation plan and you were being brought in to help execute that plan or were you going into companies and saying hey we need to transform we need to do things differently i just Curious about the sequencing of, of, of how someone with your curiosity and skills and experience 
gets brought into an organization and how listeners who maybe this is chiming with them, they're listening to you talk, they go, wow, that's me. I, I'm always curious about this. I want to learn. How do you find that next opportunity or that challenge? Do you create it or did it come to you for those? Sort probably, of- a li- probably a little bit of both. So I was still... I was still in the permanent market back then. So people would talk to me about jobs and they would talk to me about, about things like several of the jobs, actually, which is what led me to set up my own company in the end. We've got this business, somebody's moving on, they're either retiring or we're looking at you know, restructuring. We know that it needs a lot of work. We need somebody to come in to look at it, to make recommendations. We're going to implement a new product, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All of those sorts of things came across. So that's what the, the opportunity to move into a business that was inflicting change, that's what always drove me to take those opportunities. When, when I walked into those roles, did I have the opportunity to to do the change that they talked to me about, which is what led me into the role, yes and no. It's a very tricky balance of being responsible for payroll and making sure it's processed versus setting up a large transformation sort of change program. So there's, it was always a balance between being brought in to do something and then not necessarily being able to achieve it. I thought it was an interesting choice of word. You said inflicting change. I know, I couldn't think of anything else. But it's, it's, <laughs> what, it must it's what came to mind. Like <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that's, that's, you talk about, you know, payroll is, is always responsible every two weeks or every month. It absolutely has to deliver payroll. And that, almost that metronomic repeatability almost sits contrary to the need to transform. So, so can someone who is running a payroll function be responsible for the transformation of a payroll function, or does it need an outside influence to drive the transformation in your experience to inflict the change? To use your words, I think I think that's a variable. There's variable factors to that. Do they have the time? Do they have the skill set? Do they do they have the experience? So I think that you need to look at multiple factors before you could make that decision around whether or not a payroll manager could lead something like that. Um, I think if they're given the support, I mean, they're definitely going to be a consulted and an informed stakeholder as part of that process. Whether they're responsible and accountable for it, I think is a different question based on those different factors. And so individuals who are maybe in a role today thinking about their organisation, thinking we can do things better, what would your advice be to them to, if they're currently running a payroll, how would you guide them to begin to prepare for a transformation? Oh, stru- structure it. So understand who your key stakeholders are in the business and, and structure what you see it on a paper. So write a very short summary. You, you, you want them to document, okay, here's what I believe we can change. And here are the risks to not changing. And here are the business benefits. And just give them options, give them recommendations. You know, everybody's busy nowadays. People don't have the time to read pages and pages of information. A lot of senior people aren't involved in, you know, very tiny detail. Give them the headlines, but more than more than anything, outline is there a cost or resource implication to this what what does the business need to be able to drive that change for them and and what support do you need and just make sure you've got the good relationships with your key stakeholders to try and back and support that is there a key or a common failure point that you notice when you go into these different contracts or transformations lack of discovery 
lack of gathering requirements and understanding the end-to-end and what the knock-on impact is going to be to different work streams or different departments always and and so and sometimes not having the right people around the table so you want to make a change to do with payroll but you've got nobody from payroll sat around the table can i ask why is why is that i you know i hear of so many projects where payroll isn't around the table i i think it depends on the business and i think it depends on the leadership and the culture a lot of the time and i guess in terms of how payroll is perceived internally you know, if the payroll function is busy executing and never put their head above the parapet to talk about the rest of the business and, and where it works, people who are in the room talking about an HR transformation or a finance transformation don't necessarily understand that there will be an impact on, on payroll. People like the sexy stuff, don't they, in the business? They like the HR stuff. They like the finance stuff because one is cost driven and one is how we're going to look after our employees. And payroll still does have that back seat in terms of back office function and management will tend to only get involved when something's going wrong with it. So a lot of it is about how can you not sell the department, but how can you make your KPIs more positively reflected rather than negatively reflected? And what I mean by that is we tend to report on errors kind of on a monthly or pay period basis, but why are we not report why are we not turning those round and saying, hey, this is what payroll has achieved this month? And really, I think turning KPIs on their head and giving it more of a positive spin. I think there's opportunity for that. Uh, I was at a presentation a few weeks ago and uh, there was a presentation on just that subject. There was a, a payroll uh, director, global payroll director, and he reported on all the positives, but also how the other um, departments in, who interacted with payroll. So the plus points and also the negative points about how they were affecting the delivery of the payroll um, department. And it went down. It was the best um, session I've ever seen at a, a, an event because um, he was a payroll person delivering it. You know, he's been through that pain. Um, he uh, said that it actually increased his profile within the payroll, uh, within the company, um, up to the CEO level, but also other departments that had nothing to do with payroll asking him to develop a similar structure for their department. But it also highlighted how where the failure points were from other departments. So it just wasn't yeah. payroll. But um, there were so many people asking for that spreadsheet afterwards. <laughs> we, and saying how inspirational it was. And I think yeah. that's how we've got to look at it now, isn't it? I, I totally agree. Yeah. And that's the way that I think businesses need to start reporting because they're so focused on, and it's important to get vendor statistics. You need to do that as part of managing a vendor if you've got outsourced operations. But it's just focused on what percentage of data was incorrect. And, it, you know, that's old school reporting. You know, we, we can't work like that moving forward. So we've got to find a different dynamic. So if you think about some of the best dashboards or reporting or tools that you've seen, you touched earlier on the, the tools, but to, to Mel's point, this is also about mindset and the information you're choosing to surface. What do the, the best payrollers do in how they communicate that and, and surface that? And are there are there resources that, that people in the industry can go to, to to get inspiration? For example, Mel, is that is that spreadsheet available anywhere? Or Lara, have you have you got a, a sort of guidance in terms of the education you've done with the CIPP for people to say this is how you prepare yourself, this is how you get the information, this is how you transform passive negative KPIs into positive communication points? 
There's on vendor side, I see some very good vendor reporting nowadays where they've got, where, especially where they've got a heavy focus on service. So they're interested in giving an overall picture and having monthly performance meetings. That's some of the best type of stuff where they break down the SLAs into kind of different buckets. Internally within businesses where they've been trying to really drive a look, how do we get all of our reporting out there? A lot of the best dashboard reporting has come from working with analysts internally, where we've managed to drive our own formulas and create our own suite of what we want to report out. In answer to your question about the Excel spreadsheet, I have asked if we can start, you know, sending that out. So, That'd be amazing. I know, I know. That's such a good disruptor, wouldn't it? Honestly, 100%. And, and, and do you know what? The, the electricity in the room, I know that sounds a bit geeky, but you know, you can feel everyone really excited. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes conferences can be quite long, can't they? Because of long days, you know, into the evenings. And all of a sudden they're talking about data. And who would expect a whole room to get excited about <laughs> data? But it was just, yeah. um, it was it was like a light bulb moment for a lot of people, I think. Um and, it, and also it's people that are currently doing what he was doing as well to say, yeah, that's what we do. So they were confirming actually that helps their department profile, et cetera. Um, so, yeah. So, but um, I have asked if we can have a session with a GPA membership on, on what he presented as well. It's because everybody knows that they can utilize something like that to provide visibility to what they do in the business rather than just here's all the errors every month. Like if you report negative, you feel negative, don't you? So the more that you can report, hey, actually, this is what we do. This is who we interact with, you know, and you can kind of push it more upstream. Payroll is always going to be the end point of multiple pieces of technology and process and people. And it's really important that you can be able to report back upstream on, hey, actually, here's where this came from and here's how this caused us a problem this month. However, here's where this came from, and it was kind of really good sort of thing. It just helps you give a deeper dive into a wider end-to-end process, I think. It, it goes to the point, Laura, you were making that as the technology comes on, you know, Excel is, is good as far as it goes. It's a, it's a brilliant tool for people to be able to use, relatively low threshold to, to yeah. you know, most people can do some things in Excel. I do read some fairly scary reports now and again about how many Excel spreadsheets have errors in them when people go into companies and they pull Excel spreadsheets and they look at them and how many have formula errors or accounting errors or, or other things. Yeah. But it's it's interesting that as, as payrollers get better at managing and reporting data, the opportunity becomes how that's visualized and communicated to your point about the positivity, but also making it easy for people to understand. And there's a there's good independent data analytics tools out there, not just the vendor dashboards that you can put the data in in a way that it tells a story. And I think that's clearly what your guy did, Mal, in terms of the conference. He, he told a story where everybody could see themselves in a better place. And, you know, Excel was the prop to do that. But if you can do it with pictures, visuals, um, you know, dynamic dashboards, etc., so much the better. So, so, Lara, how do you see the next five years of payroll developing? You touched on sort of the technology and the automation of the last kind of five or 10 years reducing some of that manual workload, giving payrollers maybe an opportunity to, to think differently about the role. But where does it go from here? I would, payroll's always been quite slow to change, hasn't it? Because we're always hit with the latest legislation updates or things like that. So there, there is a, I think there is slow growth in disrupting the market in a big way. But that said, there's still a lot of things being discussed that I'm quite passionate about, one of them being on-demand pay. 
I think not only is that important for employee experience, but I also think it will really drive real-time payroll because you need real-time payroll for on-demand pay so that people can cash flow forecast. They've got better transparency, better visibility. It's pushing more and more companies further into cloud solutions as well. So I think that payroll will and, and arguably needs to become completely cloud in the future for contingency and multiple purposes. And, and I think that businesses, certainly larger global businesses, will start to review whether the global outsourcing model is fit for purpose and what that looks like moving forwards and, and whether they whether they want the shiny technology and the aggregator model or whether they want the service and the multiple contracts to be able to manage themselves or look at regional models or look at contracting in local countries versus via one umbrella agreement. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity in different ways. I think looking at contracting with suppliers will see a change in, in the market where, where businesses want to provide a world-class payroll service. And I think that real-time AI linked to on-demand pay, I think that that will take off as well as that starts giving, starts being given more credit and people, especially the millennials as they're coming through and they're, they're moving jobs quicker. We've got to be more agile in the industry. We've got to have more speed. Therefore, we've got to be able to do things in a better way. And that's where all of that technology will drive a lot of that. I, I think it, it feels like the what I heard somebody refer to yesterday as the COVID years. And I, I sort of stopped for a moment and thought, oh, we're actually at a period now where we're looking back on the COVID years. And that Everyone had enough, didn't they? They were like, can't do this anymore. <laughs> but as we think about the, the COVID years as a, as a, as a catalyst for that, it, it's even, you know, even organisations like my own, you have to look internally and go, okay, we need to think about disrupting ourselves and the next steps and the next challenges. And it's, it's interesting as you... You think about AI, that, that language has been around for a while, but the use cases are now starting to be clear. You know, so, so how does AI actually help you with validating a payroll run or looking at the data that's coming from upstream and say, hang on a second, you're going to have a problem with this because the data that's coming in is incomplete. So instead of getting to the end of the payroll run, the payroller is able to go, ah, I need to go and ask the people providing this data to, to rethink what they're giving us and, and how that's working. So I do think it's a really interesting time and it goes back to you know, Mel's question around program failure and project failure and that, that discovery, because I think if you get that discovery right, as you were saying, people find out what's right for them and you know, what, what, what can they be doing. So what's the, what's the key to getting discovery right and making the right choices? Is it determined by a company's size? Is it determined by a company's culture? Is it determined by you know, their geographic spread? If you're in certain countries, you have to think differently about it. Or is it just unique to every individual country or every individual company? And that, you know, your, your later career, I know, has been freelance and advising and developing. Is that, is that why you have the opportunity that you have? Because every company is different. Yes. With regards to discovery, Every business needs to have its own strategy. So if somebody's going to change what, say, their payroll solution or payroll service looks like, that's going to start from somewhere. You don't typically want a business to change their payroll based on cost savings because, you know, is it 
If you build your ROI, realistically, are you going to deliver cost savings? Should you be looking at cost savings if you're looking to increase your compliance or whatever it might be? That's all. That's always a question worth asking. Is it because you're trying to centralize your services, looking at your target operating model as part of a wider HR transformation piece? Every company will do something slightly different. Most of them want to increase the compliance there is also a question of if they're looking at outsourcing their payroll or insourcing it. Again, it depends on their strategy. Why is that? So what are the problems today and working through the problems? And is it a vendor problem or is it an internal problem? Is it because you can't maintain your resource? Is it because your resource turnover is too high because you can't keep them trained? You don't have the relevant documentation in place. There are so many questions to a discovery around landscape around resource around solutions one of the biggest failures i think sometimes in some of the transformations is that they don't have a solution architect so they don't understand how all of the different solutions needed to be able to pay people accurately will come together and the business processes that support that and actually what their end state is and i think that if companies look at addressing everything you know even down to treasury what what do you want to do in terms of money movement or funding how are you going to pay people what does that look like in every country you know what are you going to do for your your net pay your statutory payments your third party reporting how does benefits link into that from a total reward perspective it needs a wider discovery session other than how are we going to process payroll moving forwards but how are we going to interlink all of those different departments and people and and stop stop working sometimes in some businesses in a, in vertical but start working in a, in a horizontal so how do we get to work together on an end to end to understand what we need to do for discovery to understand what a change impact analysis will do across all of these different areas it's a really broad set of topics that an organization has to to think about in in going through that transformation and as we were talking earlier about the um the opportunity around you know earned wage access and um, real-time payroll and adding the complexity of doing that on a multi-country multi-jurisdictional basis but the tax authorities in each country might have a slightly different view um, around how that works and it's it's so so as you're working with companies who are looking at a, a global payroll opportunity do you do you think that they should have a full master plan for everything they're going to do and then execute against that? Or do you advise them to kind of break out, let's do the top three countries first or the top five first and get those done and then do a separate piece of work around the next phase? How, how do you think about breaking those chunks up? Is it, is it a giant master plan piece of work or is it a more agile? It can be either. It can be completely, it depends where they are on their journey. So if if they've brought me in because they want me to have a look at something on a global basis, then it's going to be start a discovery, take them through an RFX process. Once, you know, scorecard it, what do they want from a vendor? What are they going to do with all of their different services? Or it could be a business that actually they've got a vendor, they've got a few problems in different countries and it could be, okay, we need to look at something for a specific country. Let's pilot that and have a look at if it works for kind of a wider transformational piece it completely depends where they are depends what they want so your role today i think you're now self-employed you run your own business is that is that right do, and, yeah. yeah and so um what do you find most exciting about doing that now in, in terms of all the experience you've had 
why is that where you've ended up? It's the opportunity of working with multiple different businesses who've got problems that need a solution to them and being able to support them and work through that. And you're working in more of a business capacity rather than kind of a one particular area. And that's what I enjoy about what I do. And so what's the most complex payroll you've seen? And obviously, I don't, don't name the, the client or the, the group, but number of countries, kind of size and scale, just... Just curious about what you're seeing out in the, the market and the scale of some of these organisations that are thinking about the change. So probably a good 75 countries. And I'd say some of the biggest complexities are when you've got that lack of discovery and an aggressive implementation timeline and you're trying to get something in without having had that discovery and without necessarily the solution architecture all being in place to support the foundations for stable processing. and probably where a business potentially in a startup capacity makes the decision to outsource all of their processing to a consulting firm as opposed to hiring employees, which I think has more added value to be able to process their payroll for them and bring them into the fold. And I think a lot of the time it comes back to making sure that there's strong leadership and change management in place as well. So there's varying dynamics on the complexities of and that i mean that leads into another question we, we talk a little bit in in these interviews um through the podcast series about leadership and leadership characteristics and asking you know the women we're talking to who've been some of the best leaders they've worked with and what made them good leaders and and really the, the idea there is to try and extract out for the people listening what does good look like in, in our world, in the world of payroll? So perhaps I can ask you the question, right? If you could picture one of the best leaders you've worked with, what was the experience like of working with them and what made them a great leader? She was, and I don't think it's a payroll specific question. I think it's a wider, you know, what makes a good leader? She was just a really decent person. So she was mutually respectful. Um, it, it was a French lady, actually, and she was formerly a lawyer, um, but she really liked people. So she moved into the HR space and she oversaw HR when they were building the Channel Tunnel. So she she was really very interesting. She was very, very intelligent. And she just liked people and she was interested in you. She was helpful. She was supportive. She wanted you to grow as a person. And she was just compassionate in her nature. But she was good at what she did. And she she understood if you if you wanted help, she would understand what you needed help with in detail and not do it for you, but move things to help you be able to do it yourself. And that's why she was one of the best per people that I worked with to date, actually. I mean, she spoke something like eight languages as well. I mean, that's quite cool, isn't it? I mean, I can't even speak two, I don't think. <laughs> just, just about order a croissant in French, I think. But yeah, she she was great. She was really, really good. And it, you know, you can be the smartest person in the room, but it comes down to having those soft skills and that degree of emotional intelligence to be able to work with people. That is it's so important. And so often overlooked in a in a segment that thinks very rationally about data and process individual steps but when you're dealing with the transformation it's change and that old quote you know everyone thinks change is a good idea until it happens to them um and, and that personal experience of change is is it needs to be managed with a degree of sensitivity 
It does. Soft skills are everything. If you're, when you're going through change, transformation, kind of anything, you've got to be able to, I don't like the word influence because it feels like you're trying to sell something to somebody, but you need to have the the right skills to be able to explain something in a simple way that other people will understand it to help their perception and understand what it is that you're trying to explain to them. And I think that's where emotional intelligence and the soft skills comes in. You um, Obviously, your um, area of expertise is quite male-dominated. Do you, do you have any challenges with, with that at all? Yeah, and I'm quite, I'm quite open about it as well. In many programmes that I've sat on where there has been um, a male programme lead, um, I have always found it quite a struggle where there is still an imbalance Definitely. And that is in terms of being heard and having a seat at the table. Definitely. There was an article about um, gender pay gap um, I saw on LinkedIn about the IT industry. It's the worst. The gender pay gap is actually the worst in the IT industry. Um, so so maybe we've still got a, a way, you know, still a long way to go in, in that respect. I, I actually had... Um, I actually had a comment recently. So in terms of what I do, I can obviously be quite direct. It's just the nature of, of what I do and sometimes how I need to get stuff done. And somebody actually said to me recently, if you were a male and you were saying exactly that as a man, that would probably be taken in a very different way. But because you're a female, it, they are probably taking it in a different way. And I thought that, and that came from a man, actually, you know, an emotionally intelligent man. But I thought that that was quite interesting and very powerful that that perspective is still out there. And it's very true. I, I feel it quite a lot. Um, I, we do a lot of work on unconscious bias and, um, you know, how we think about equality across all the organisations in, in multiple countries. And I think it's one of the joys of, of global payroll diversity and inclusion is the same basic principle, but, but looks and feels different in every culture and every geography because you're reflecting the culture and geography that, that you're in and the history is different. But everybody has these unconscious biases and actually being able to, to call them out and, and deal with them and, and whether that's the proximity bias because you're based in the UK running global payroll, so UK feels like it's the closest, or whether that's a gender bias because you've grown up in a male-dominated environment or a female-dominated environment, that, that affects your personal interactions. I think it's so unseen, the role that that has in a transformation. When you're taking people through a difficult journey, those soft skills that you touched on earlier on, um, you have to try and understand where everybody starts and then get them to the place where the organization needs, but everybody starts in a different place, brings different baggage, and will go on a different journey. Very refreshing to be able to talk about that so directly. So if I can ask a follow-up question, in, in hearing that and in recognising that that was you know, valid, does that change anything about the way you subsequently communicate or the way the expectations you set or the way you look to build teams that are running a transformation? It depends on feedback. So it, it depends on culture. It depends on, I, I like to think that a lot of people that work with me will give me feedback on, on giving them the right leadership, the right direction in a program. If they don't, then I would adjust my style. But typically, 
no. If I can explain something in a in a simple way that stakeholders need to be aware of it, or I'm managing something, if somebody wants a style adjusted, you know, then that's absolutely fine. But I think a lot of the time it's just reading your situation and having the self-awareness to know that there, there is, a, for me, there is a difference between being direct and being rude or being arrogant. And it's making sure that you've got the fine balance of being able to deliver what you need to a client and coming across in the right way. And being direct sometimes is just the way to get across factual information where decisions need to be made. Isn't it better to be direct? <laughs> I think, I think so. Especially if you're spending millions of dollars on GBP or whatever on a transformation project, then anyway, I know we, we could go down. I think, Laura, this could be a conversation we have over a drink, but. Um. <laughs> it's, but it's a, it's a cultural thing as well, right? So if I'm working with Americans, they'll be very direct and they will also say a lot more. Whereas in, in Britain, we tend to summarize things. So it could come across as more direct because we don't add, you know, as many words into something. But culturally across EMEA and across Europe, we've got different cultures that will address things in different ways as well. And it comes back to the experience and the emotional intelligence of being able to understand who you're dealing with in different countries and how everybody needs to interact. It's just a mutual respect, isn't it? So taking that into account, somebody starting now in the industry, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's evolved a lot over the last decade, two decades of, of global payroll. So somebody coming in now, and Mel's running this initiative, you know, payroll is a career. What advice would you offer someone starting out now in payroll? And why should they be interested in global payroll of all parts of payroll? It's for me, it's a transferable skill set. I've always said that. So if you want to work anywhere in the world and you want to understand a framework and how you pay people in every country, global payroll is going to it's going to give you that. It's just then learning and understanding what each country does differently in those local jurisdictions where you need to flex and bend because it's not going to fit into a global model. Um Anybody who's coming into the industry, they need to have a bit of a passion for payroll. That's the most important thing. And I think be always be open to change and accept that, you know, we can all say we don't like change, but every, everything we do is about change. Every single month we're dealing with changes to be able to pay people and just be curious and be willing to learn and be willing to adapt. It's, I mean, it's been absolutely delightful over the last sort of six to 12 months as the world has reopened. Um, I've been looking at my social feeds and I've, I've been in payroll for five or six years, but meeting a lot of people who are doing really interesting things. And it's brilliant to see the world opening up again and people connecting with their teams and, and they're posting, you know, oh, I'm in Hyderabad with my team or I'm in Melbourne with my team or I'm in Sao Paulo with my team. And just for an industry that struggles to your word to be sexy right in terms of, of being engaging that's a huge part of what payroll is about it's connecting with people around the world and it gives you you know Mel, we've talked about this once or twice before you know unexpected opportunities to travel and, and see the world if you're in the global payroll space um, it does yeah it does that's a big selling point i think to it as well and people are energy i i feel it being sat at home working every day you know i don't get it speaking to people on a screen i get it when i'm around people so as you reflect upon your career we're coming towards the end of the the the, the recording and, and, and if you think about reflecting on your career what advice would you offer your younger self or what would you change if if anything believe in yourself 
it's, it's the biggest it's the biggest thing just believe in yourself believe that you can do or go where you want to that's it for me anyway that's it believe in yourself and, and Mel mentioned mentioned earlier um your hobby or your your pastime i'm guessing it takes a fair amount of self-belief to throw yourself out of an airplane at a at 30,000 feet or 10,000 feet or whatever the height yes, is so. probably a bit of resilience strength and resilience in there yeah it's good to push yourself out of your comfort zone that's why i do it and I just like being in the sky. So I've always been afraid of heights. So the way that I addressed that is I was like, well, if I keep trying to do things, at, you know, height, maybe I'll overcome my fear. And so I, I first ever did a skydive years ago and just absolutely loved it. And then just thought, yeah, I'm just going to go and do this. And then um, I was in Switzerland earlier in the year trying to get my pilot's license to paraglide, but I broke my ankle. So <laughs> got to go back and try and do that again <laughs> did you break your ankle landing a paraglider or was the, the totally I, I'd landed actually and I was I was scooping up my wing to repack it and um my boot got stuck on some sort of mud mound and where all my gear was still attached I went one way and my boot stayed where it did and it just yeah snapped my ankle so yeah I was really unfortunate Mind you, you think this. about jumping from 10,000 feet or flying off the side of a mountain um breaking your ankle on the ground is 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 probably one of the lesser expected injuries but, know, but better right. than some of the alternatives yeah paragliding super safe as well it's super safe skydiving say, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the one with the broken ankle no it is it's amazing it's really enjoyable i'd recommend anything like that skydiving's a bit more um you just have to be in the right mindset it's like anything be in the right mindset if you're going to go and do it People say you get a massive buzz from things sometimes. And sometimes I'm sat in that plane and I'm a bit like, oh, I'm tired. I'm hungry. Like I've had enough. And I know I've got to jump out the plane. And and those days I'll have a bad jump. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all about being in the right mindset. Well, great note to to wrap up on, because that, that sort of self-awareness as you as you think about your career progression and the way you've You've sort of grown through the breadth of roles that you've done and now running your own business with a portfolio of global payroll clients how you adapt as a as a female leader in payroll how you drive change all of that starts from from your own approach your self-awareness and, and what your clients need i guess so i mean this has been a fascinating conversation thank you so much for for joining us and sharing your your viewpoint and expertise thank you for having me thanks lara thank you this podcast is made possible by ADP Global Payroll, giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth. Begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide and connect with your local global expert.